0: Welcome to another edition of Heat Check. It is Monday, February 15th. We hope you had a great weekend. We hope you had a great Valentine's Day. It's Peyton Gallagher and Gabe Schwartz. Today we are talking the latest NCAA release, the first release of the top 16 seeds on Saturday. Um, We had a great West Virginia-Oklahoma game that went to double overtime. We had the Valley doubleheader, as I'm calling it, and just other observations from the weekend. We will also get into uh, disappointing teams, uh, the segment that everyone loves, pros and cons. And of course, scholarships and sanctions. But first, I want to start Peyton with the NCAA's release of the top sixteen seeds. They did it on Saturday on CBS before um, Auburn and Kentucky got going. Region mm-hmm. one: Gonzaga, Alabama, Oklahoma, Iowa. Region two, which first of all, they're they're just calling them region one, two, three, and four. Um, I think people have discussed naming them after legendary coaches that have died this year, um, which is also a possibility, but at this point, they haven't indicated that they will do so. Um, region two, Baylor, Illinois, Tennessee, Texas. Region three, Ohio State, Villanova, Virginia, Texas Tech. Region four, Michigan, Houston, West Virginia, Missouri. Tennessee, Villanova, West Virginia, and Missouri all lost on Saturday. So at this point, the question I have is, did anything stand out to you? Um, and who deserves to be a top four seed that wasn't listed there? Oh, you're trying to bait me. You're definitely trying to bait me into saying Kansas should no. be. Into. No, 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 no. I think there's, I think there's, I think there's two other teams. I wrote down five teams as possibilities that I think uh, you could make cases for. I just want to see who you think. I mean, okay. For starters, also, hello. My name is Peyton Gallagher. My, my Valentine
1: is James book night, but um, no, so I mean, I think that the clear one that you got to kind of evaluate is why are we so committed to Texas Tech at this point? Um, I would say that if there was a team that was missed, maybe it's Florida State's, but I really do think generally this is about right. I might have maybe jiggled the seating a little bit, but generally I, th- I think this was spot on
0: spot on okay I, I I disagree I think that or at least I know that this is the first one I know that four teams lost so in theory Missouri it was a four they lost they'll fall out um West Virginia was a three they'll drop a little bit Villanova was a two they'll drop and Tennessee was a three Tennessee we'll talk about them later but they get good shots. They just, well, get, yeah, I, I'm saying. Just, yeah. What, what's the
1: thing like, in post after this came out, it was wrong. Things are going to change. Yeah. Teams
0: lost. But when this came out, I do think it was correct. Okay. I don't necessarily think that the four seeds were correct. Okay. I, I, think, I think I went over last week. Why? I think that um, resume wise, Kansas is better than Texas tech. I would also say Florida State is better than Missouri. Um, the other three teams that I wrote down as like just to discuss: Creighton, USC, and Wisconsin. If you go based on resume, if you go based on metrics, if you go based on the fact that USC is a three-loss Pac-12 team. That's a Power Six conference. Yeah. I think by the end lost of the year, UConn. But sure. Yeah, they lost to UConn. Okay. feather in the cap of of Danny Hurley but also you like USC is good that was a rightful quad one win for the Huskies and USC especially if they avoid any dumb losses to like an Arizona State this Wednesday or Arizona on Saturday they'd be 19 and 3 I think that they're just going to like move up I mean, yeah, and and USC
1: keeps winning, and I think that that's a fair point. Like, I I think Florida State and USC are the two teams that we're going to see potentially move in for a team like Tennessee that will likely move out. I mean, I think Tennessee at 11 was a little bit striking. I don't know what they garnered at that point to be ranked that highly given some of the the losses they had taken. Um, But with that said, I think that as we go through this process, it'll just – get better and better and kind of reflect a more accurate depiction of what we'll see on selection Sunday. If this seating is kind of what we we get as my phone is going ballistic right now. So I'll put that on mute. Um, I think that maybe, you know, we see less of the pandering to some of the preseason expectation. Cause that seems to be kind of where we were at teams that had higher preseason, um, perspective and higher um, opinions preseason. Those seem to be the teams that did a little bit better uh, in this early poll. And then of course you got teams like Alabama and Oklahoma who were crashing the party. And I I think Oklahoma maybe was a
0: little bit underseated in this as well. Yeah. I think based on resume, Oklahoma would be the first team that I would move into the two line as Villanova loses Um, the, the issue. I know that we've talked a lot about, or at least mentioned that, um, the seating doesn't have to be impacted nearly as much by the fact that travel matters or, or things that, to, to those extent, but you, all, you do have to factor in avoiding conference matchups as early as possible. So they, they had Iowa, Illinois, Ohio state, and Michigan, all in different regions, which makes sense. Um, it probably jumbled the seating at least a little bit. Um, and I think that that's something that's interesting to note as we continue in, because especially if, I know Wisconsin loses to Michigan on Sunday, but if if Wisconsin moves their way in and then you have five Big Ten teams in the top 16, there's a decent chance you get to a spot where you have to have a one seed that's a Big Ten team and a four seed that's a Big Ten team, and that's a Sweet 16 matchup, something that they typically would try to avoid. Um, Other notes, just about the NCAA tournament in general, before we get talking about the weekend... Um, Dan Gavitt said that the they're expecting to have some amount of fans definitely for the final four just because of how empty Lucas Oil Stadium would be um, that they think that they can spread people out. They might allow fans for the earlier rounds the sweet 16 and elite eight and such. I I don't know how much that favors anything it just is something to potentially um, note. Did you have any final thoughts on, a on just the reveal and, and what you're seeing from brackets and what you're interested in? Um, because oh, really. I mean, we're, we're four weeks out from selection Sunday, so it's just, I think that the thing I'm most intrigued to see, it doesn't really matter. Um, based on, like, it's, it's not going to matter based on travel or anything, but Gonzaga versus Baylor for the number one overall seed, it will matter based on who they give for the two and the three seed in their regions. That's something to know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it was a little bit shocking that Gonzaga was still ahead of Baylor. I think that has a lot to do with Baylor being on pause right now. Like, a lot to do with Baylor being on pause right now because Baylor's resume is better. Than Gonzaga's uh, in a lot of ways in terms of total depth. Now, given Gonzaga is second in the country in quadrant one wins, they've got seven. Um, nobody else aside from Ohio State, actually, who has eight, is uh, above that watermark of six. But, like, also, Baylor has done a lot more recently, so I figured they would be the one seed. So that was a little bit surprising to me. But like you said, I think it's important who the two and three are in their respective regions. And if the tournament happened right now, Gonzaga would have to do with Houston, who without Mills is not that scary a team as their two seed. And I think that they would be pretty happy with that as opposed to the seven being Alabama, who would be who Baylor potentially drew. And Baylor probably wouldn't be very excited to play Alabama. So yeah, you make a good point.
0: Yeah. We'll just, we'll see how it goes. Um, I think, I think Ohio state or Michigan one is probably moving off the one line. I don't know if we're going to get two big 10 teams there, but we'll see. I keep your eye on Alabama. Um, I think that they can still get there. Um, Let's talk though about this weekend. We'll start with the double overtime game. We'll start with uh, the team that neither of us can really get right in game picks uh, West Virginia. They lose at home to Oklahoma. Um, It's the second win of the year for Oklahoma over West Virginia It is, I think, the fifth-ranked opponent that Oklahoma has beaten. Austin Reeves scores 28 points. He goes for nine rebounds, seven assists, just an NBA-type stat line. Um, What were your takeaways from this Oklahoma win over a ranked opponent, and uh, where do we go from here? Well, Oklahoma just continues to get these kinds of
1: wins, and – as their resume inclines, you start to think of them more so in that two-line discussion. Um, I was, again, a little bit shocked that they were in here at 12 on this original seed chart. But given their body of work prior to the West Virginia game, a little bit more acceptable. After that, they keep moving up. And the resume at this point is stronger than West Virginia's. I mean, just look at the teams they've beaten as of late. Alabama, West Virginia, they got Texas Tech, they got Texas I mean, they've got all these wins piling up. And as they continue to improve and work into a better flow with Brady Manick, getting back to where he was prior to contracting COVID. I mean, this is a team, I I think it's hard to say any other team other than Alabama or Gonzaga um, and Baylor is a, a team that you would look at as a national championship caliber team. And I'm not saying that's what Oklahoma is, but I think if they get in the right bracket, they avoid those two teams they could be a Final Four caliber team, and I nobody was anticipating that preseason. I mean, look at Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan had expectations that weren't even close to this, and look where they are. They may be that next tier two in college basketball this year behind Baylor and Gonzaga. So, I mean, to me, we're watching this game. This is the best game I've seen all year. Uh, personally, that's my belief. Oklahoma should have won in regulation. They just couldn't get a rebound. They couldn't get a rebound in overtime either. Somehow it ended up in double OT, but usually you don't get an opportunity to redeem mistakes like that on the road against a high-quality opponent like this, and they were able to somehow get the win anyway. So credit to them.
0: Well, I think that the the thing of note, Umoja Gibson goes for 21 points on 5 of 10 from three-point range. I You mentioned – Yeah, that. he was – he was he was massive you mentioned that the the offensive rebounding for West Virginia kind of kept them in it gave them extra chances that they probably should not have had that seems to be the case for um, everybody that West Virginia plays when they go to Morgantown that West Virginia constantly controls the offensive glass it's kind of weird even without Sheway that they crack they crash the glass so well I think it also has to do with just the amount of long threes and long rebounds that they get that their athletic guards are able to get to mm-hmm. it. But West Virginia loses this game. I think so just because this is, this is what has kind of been the writing on the wall. Th- their luck has been relatively high. We've talked about that in, in weeks past. They're shooting 43% from three point range during conference play before this week, they go seven for 24 in this game. Everyone who's not named Sean McNeil or miles McBride went over 10 um while McBride was uh two for four McNeil was five for ten so they're each shooting 50 percent everyone else shoots zero percent for three um and they just needed someone the else MC. to make a shot and they didn't get any yeah the MC boys yeah
1: cool and Gr- Culver was horrific in this game and like was given Brady of the business all game long if you wanted to draw a step it was there if you had to spin strong side it was there anything he wanted Brady Manik couldn't do anything to stop him but I think it's also important to note that when we talk about West Virginia as a team, although not having Sheboy has opened up a lot for their offense and Taz Sherman's been this dude at times. McNeil has been this dude at times. Um, they've had Culver and McBride at their highest level optimized all year long pretty much, but sometimes they struggle to get that third dude to step up and, um, And even though McNeil made shots throughout this game, because it was a double overtime game, you probably need somebody else to reach double figures. And it just didn't happen for them.
0: What were your thoughts um, as far as the last possession of the game? Because we talked about it a little bit on Saturday and you seem to not love the taking the ball out of McBride's hands.
1: Well, my thing, McBride's been their closer all year long, and that's been the right option for them all year long. You think about the, the late game shots that he's been able to hit consistently, throughout league play. I think back to a similar situation against Texas Tech where they were able to outlast Matt McClung um, and the Red Raiders by giving the ball to McBride. McBride made big shots in overtime prior to this. So I think that Culver was dominating. They had two inbounds, right? They had the one that got ripped away from Culver from underneath the baseline. that They got very fortunate and rolled out of bounds off an Oklahoma player, so they got the ball back with about three seconds, right? I think trying to feed a high pass to Culver with a point blank look was the right move the first time around. I don't think you go back to the well twice given they did get a decent look at a game. I think winning layup um, was the game winning or tying. It would have won it. It would have won it. Yeah. Um, they got a decent look. I just like the option better with three seconds. You've got enough time for McBride to get downhill and make a decision on whether he wants to lay a pass off, kick to the corner or go for the in himself. If he goes fast, I think that would have been the better option personally from where they were inbounding. But given you also know that Oklahoma's defense is going to be collapsing hard on McBride to make sure he doesn't get the ball at all. So I don't know. It wasn't my favorite in the world. I understand why they did it though. And it didn't yield a bad look.
0: Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have any issue with it just because at that point, McBride is already six for 19 from the field. He wasn't very efficient. Um, He's still your guy though. I, I, I like him and I'm, I'm still like, good with it i wouldn't have i also would not have been mad if they gave him the ball but i can see how you think you know we can get one inside brady mannick's not the most elite post defender of all time and Mm -hmm. make your chance with that as a look um i think moving forward as we get to the takeaways from this game and where we where this kind of takes both teams i'm there has to be some three-point regression. It started on Saturday for West Virginia. They just – they can't make 43% from three for all of conference play. Um, and Oklahoma, I don't – I don't know. Their, their, their metrics are not anything special. But if I'm guessing – like, if, if you're asking me to predict, I think they end up being a two-seed because I think other people are going to continue to lose. And barring something weird with COVID happening, if they beat Texas tomorrow night on Tuesday in, in Norman – they close the year with Iowa State, Kansas State, two games against Oklahoma State, and maybe they reschedule a Baylor game that would be at in Oklahoma. Um, but who knows? Because Baylor has a ton of games to reschedule. Um, I just don't see a lot of losses left on the schedule. And in fact, I see a couple like the Iowa State and the Kansas State games are both probably blowouts that really bi-week.
1: boost. It's a bye week.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they just boost what their um, margin of victory is, what their efficiency metrics are like everything, barring just some weird collapse. um, Everything seems to be shaping up for them to be a two seed, which I think this is a better coaching job for Kruger than 2016 was.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's working with less, right? He doesn't have a national player of the year caliber guy. Um, and Buddy healed and like even without Buddy, like there were other key contributing good pieces on that Oklahoma team that made it what it was. The fact that that team though had high preseason, pre-season expectation and this one had none, and he's been able to make this into a top 10 team, I think speaks to him. Um, he's got to be a candidate for National Coach of the Year in a very, very condensed and tough, freed race because you've got your elite guys. Um, again, we talk about Baylor and Gonzaga on this podcast too much, but. Those two on teams that might go undefeated. You've got guys like Nate Oates and, and Lon Kruger who have elevated teams way past expectation. And then you had Ohio state and Michigan who came into the year top 25 like back end, but not teams that people thought were going to be number one and two seeds most likely. So, I mean, my national coach right now would be Jawan Howard if the season ended. Um, maybe I get caught up in the narrative. If a team goes undefeated, Maybe I, I lean that way, but Lon Kruger deserves all the credit in the world, and there's a reason why he's had that discussion.
0: Yeah, for sure. So that's that's where West Virginia and Oklahoma are. Um, Oklahoma ends up right now sitting in second place in the Big 12. Third place is Kansas. I think fourth place is Texas. Um, West Virginia is still in the middle of the pack, but really it's just a jumble of teams after Baylor, and we really <laughs> – just consistently keep flipping, jumping on different sides of the fences and figuring out who we like. Let's talk about a league that we don't give a ton of talk to, but this was kind of the weekend to really focus on it. We got two, um, two editions of this. One was a 27 point blowout. The other one went to overtime Saturday. Loyola beats Drake 81 54. They go on a 31 10 run in the second half Sunday absolute rock fight of a game 51 50 drake wins in overtime it was first one to 40 it was basically first one to 50 um first one to 45 to get to ot um loyola led 42 33 i think with nine minutes eight minutes left and and gave up a 10-0 run which allowed drake back into it um what are your, your weekend takeaways i i Saturday night, we were both kind of on the same page of Loyola as the tournament team here. Drake probably doesn't necessarily deserve it, um, but after this, I don't know how like a twenty and two Drake team that is not going to lose to. I mean, they lose to they lose to Valpo and they lose once to Loyola. Right. If they get to the if they get to the Arch Madness final, what is that? And they lose to Loyola again, and that's a right. like third loss. Are you good with them being a twelve seed?
1: I think so. I think so. The bubble's week this year. Drake has played nobody. We've like well documented. They've played absolutely nobody in their non-conference. Um, whereas Loyola went out and scheduled got some losses. I, I would be more inclined to reward Loyola as an at-large. I would have to have a discussion with Drake. But then again, you also have to look at it as like Drake potentially could beat them twice out of three. And them being able to bounce back and get this close win after getting destroyed on their home floor uh, is pretty significant for them. Um, otherwise, I, I, I thought it was a pretty spineless case for them to date on why they would be a tournament team at large. And now they've got a little bit more of one. I, I don't think that Loyola is a top 10 team in the country as Ken Palm would suggest because a top 10 team doesn't lose to Drake, but credit to Drake they get, they got the win they had to get to make this a discussion and now we're discussing it
0: yeah yeah cuz if if Loyola goes in and drubs in both games i think we go wow Loyola Loyola is legit this is a one bid league Loyola is going to get that bid or it's a two bid league if Drake somehow pulls off an upset in St. Louis if that happens um i guess that could still happen i think Drake i think this was obviously an upset uh because i felt like I don't know Drake didn't play necessarily great but Loyola like what do you mean like what obviously
1: an upset when at home and they've got one loss on the year is just I I feel like you might be right and it's just funny that that is the case.
0: Well, I think I think Loyola is the better coach team. I think it's the more talented team. It is the uh higher ceiling team and 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 I honestly think it's probably the higher floor team too because just the way that they run their offense and the fact that their defense keeps them in games. They don't, it, their defense is not going to allow them to really get blown out. Like they know what they're going to do. They, they have a solid game plan. You started talking yourself into Porter Mosier as, as getting a big time job after this year. And I think it could happen too. Um
1: I just maybe Kansas state. Wow. As much as that might hurt you, Gabe that it feels like it would be a
0: fit. I mean, I've seen Jim Christian just got fired at Boston College. Say Jeff Goodman was pushing Porter Mosier as a candidate. Patino.
1: Patino. Patino. Rick Patino.
0: That's also an option. I I don't know if it's necessarily an option, but you know. Is it an option? I, I don't know if it necessarily is one, but probably should be. If they want to bring back the excellence of Boston College. Um, my last thoughts on Loyola. You're right; they're not a top ten team like Ken Palm's efficiency metrics say, but the efficiency metrics do shed light on how good they are in turn, Like they are real; they're they are a tournament team, and I don't I don't know if they're as good um, as the 2018 team was. Based on the numbers, suggest that they're every bit as good as the 2018 team. The knowing what Ben Richardson and Clayton Custer were and, and the rest of their guards and just how much better the guards were in that tournament run. um, I would lean toward the 2018 team, but you can also see how just running the offense through the high post and through camp Crutwig, like the leaps and bounds that he's made in the four years that he's been there. He's a great player. He's a great player.
1: Yeah, I love when offenses work like that because it just opens up so much space for free cutters running off a big. And if a big is a smart passer and a good passer, kind of that Nikola Jokic type build. Not saying Cam Crawford is Nikola Jokic, but maybe a college equivalent. I think that's so much more fun to watch for a big man to have the offense run through him than like say what Iowa does.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I see the Jokic thing from just the passing and the below the rim finishing, obviously he doesn't, Crutwig doesn't shoot the three um, barring it being like really low in the shot clock. But um, Drake, from the Drake perspective, Shanquan Hempill was out with a, a foot injury. I think he'll be out four weeks. Yeah. So he'll be out for a month. Yes, surgery. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if he's back for the, hopefully he's back for arch madness, if that's possible. Um, I don't know if it, it's probably not going to be, but maybe if they get to the tournament, he'll be able to play. That would be a huge boost. Loyola, they are number one in defensive efficiency now. They are number 10 in Ken Palm. They're not actually the 10th best team in the country, but they are solidly a top 25. They stay in the heat check pool. They stay in the AP pool as of today. Um, I can't wait for Arch Madness. That's my last thought on that. Let's get to another happening in the Midwest, because what went down in Omaha on Saturday was – Definitely of note, and 86 to 70 Creighton win. The Blue Jays had 20 from Mitchell Ballack, 25 from Marcus Segorowski. That's the National Player of the Year preseason contender that people thought Marcus Segorowski was going to be. And I'm just going to say this I, every time I turn on a Villanova game, I'm unimpressed by Colin Gillespie. Yeah, something's been
1: off with him this year. He's not been the same kind of guy who's a, a preseason All-American that he was last year. He was that player last year, and it's not been there this season. They, they don't have as much bite and edge, I don't think, as I would have expected out of them. I don't know what's up. I mean, part of it is that, yeah, Creighton, I think, was one of the only th- three teams in the J Wright era to shoot the percentage they did against Villanova from deep in this game. They were unconscious from three. They hit everything they took. Mitchell Ballack is not a player that normally gets 20. He makes a couple timely threes, but he, he if he gets 20, it means that they probably made at least five or six threes from him, right? That's what happened. Um, and you're just not going to beat Creighton at home when they do that. Part of that's on Villanova's defense for sure. Part of that's on on Jeremiah Robinson Earl, you know, not making some of those pick-and-pop threes that he normally does to kind of, like, rebut and cut the momentum down. Um, But, you know, Alex O'Connell was over there getting hype on the bench, and it's over for you when when AOC is vibing like that out there in Omaha.
0: Well, there's something to be – like, Balak is going to get his shots up, and when he goes 75% from three – you're kind of screwed, but also on the inside, Christian Bishop had double figures. He had upper teens in terms of points and Villanova's defense. I think the, the surprising thing from how well coached they are offensively, typically they're also a solid defensive team. They are very, very average defensively because they are their 90th in defensive efficiency seems like every game um, they're giving up 70 ish or 70 plus. Um, they just right. don't necessarily get stops. And so Yukon, a healthy UConn, um, a St. John's team when they get good production out of Posh Alexander and this Creighton team, those are three teams that are equipped perfectly to kind of take advantage of Villanova's defense being spotty. And then when you couple that with JRE having eight points and Gillespie having eight points, then you're just not winning a road game in that situation.
1: Yeah, there is not a center in this league that should be able to hold Jeremiah Robinson all to eight points. And I know that they were doubling him hard and making him pass out, beating with the pass, but like that just can't happen. He's too adept to score. He's too versatile as a scorer because you don't even have to feed him in the post to get him buckets. He can fade to the corner off off ball action and hit a three. He can pick and pop. There are things you can do. And when those guys don't have it, as much as I love Samuels and Antoine and some of their other guys, it's just not going to happen for him. And now you kind of like miss Javon Quinterly a little bit who transferred out a couple years ago.
0: Yeah. The, the playmaking at the guard spot. I, I was saying this when we were watching the game on Saturday, Gillespie, when he's running the, the Villanova special, the guard back down in the post. Yeah. The
1: Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Throw your, my button to you and
0: work you over. Yeah. The Kyle Lowry. Happy the Valentine's The Ryan Archie Diacono. Like that move. Yeah. It. The Jalen Brunson, Brunson was probably, I mean, I'm giving, not giving him enough credit. He was probably the best at it.
1: Yeah, he was probably the best
0: at it. Yeah. Um, Gillespie's just not as physically imposing, I guess, and he's not as good at doing that and running the offense in that way. And I think that that kind of limits Villanova. Um, it's just more evident. Like, it, I didn't ever think that they were the third best team. I think it's probably Michigan um, or Ohio State. And even Ohio State um, defensively has some issues as well where they just give up a bunch of points. But, man, it's just always three through 20. Three through 25 is just different nights, different teams. And when Creighton plays like – like Creighton played like a top-10 team on Saturday.
1: Yeah. Yeah, have the, the potential being. I mean, that, that's a Creighton team that we thought could be that good preseason. Now they're not. They, they aren't – as. And Marcus Zigarowski has been through the ringer with injuries and maybe he's finally getting back to like being really healthy, which has elevated them. But I mean, that just can't if you're really the third best team in the country, fourth best team in the country, that just can't happen to you.
0: Yeah, but I, I just don't I don't think that there's anyone good enough um, this year on a consistent basis other than I guess Michigan. I guess Michigan is the third team. But other than that, I just don't think anyone is consistent enough for us to have the expectations that they're going to be that every night. So we just have to accept that that's the way things go. And especially with COVID and different people missing games with sickness or injuries and stuff, there's the the diluted nature of the results that we've seen. You're going to get weird stuff happen like this um, and and weird things where on nights like this, Villanova looks like the 20th best team in the country rather than the fourth best team. So that's where we're at. Um, Other weekend observations. We can go to Michigan and Wisconsin. We can go to Alabama putting up 115 on Georgia, Um, Arkansas getting a top 10 road win against Missouri without Jeremiah Tillman or Tennessee uh, losing by 13 at LSU. Where do you want to go? What stood out to you most? What are you most excited to talk about? and, And go from there.
1: I, I want to talk about LSU because whew, if they're going to commit to defense like that, that is a dangerous team in March. And it kind of looks like they are starting to figure it out a little bit on the defensive end of the ball. Because as I'm not going to just outright call Trenton Watford disappointing this year, but he was supposed to be the guy that could be SEC player of the year on that team. Javante Smart has kicked it into a different gear the last couple of weeks, and he's been terrific. Less of the offense needs to be running through Camp Thomas. Uh, he's good. He shouldn't be a guy who's scoring 24 a game or whatever he's scoring for you. I just don't think that that's the most efficient variation of their offense. Uh, uh, Darius Days has been terrific committing on the defensive end. And, and yeah, I mean, when LSU locks in defensively from what they can do offensively, that's a team that can go second weekend easily in the tournament if they play at the level they did against Tennessee. So that was the biggest takeaway. And I just can't get a read on Tennessee.
0: Well, but I don't really think that this was much about LSU. I, I think, I think it's just about, really. I think it's just about because LSU's defenses is, is still what it is. Like Tennessee was getting good looks, getting open shots. And I felt like they just missed like Tennessee knows the shots they want to get. And sometimes they're just physically limited. They're not great shooters. They have shown that to be the case. And, when they miss shots they lose ugly usually the defense keeps them in but lsu's offense is good enough and overwhelming enough that when they make shots when cam thomas is what we think he is and trend watford shows up and such then lsu wins and they look good but i think this is more just about tennessee being a team that gets good looks and is constantly just underwhelming offensively in terms of this like actual skill of putting the ball in the basket, um, shooting it from deep. A lot of the times they're just not very good at it. So I'm just, I'm still on like Tennessee knows what they are. They're decent at it. um, But they're, they're offensively limited. And I know that that's why they're not going to make a deep tournament run because there's going to be odds are one of the first three games, the NCAA tournament, they're going to not shoot the ball well, and they're just going to lose.
1: That's pretty scathing. I mean, it's probably true. I would like to see Keon Johnson, and Jaden Springer, do something in March. I just don't think I can bet on it at this point. Like, and I, I, I do wonder. You see this this rampant inconsistency from teams that have a dependence on on freshmen. It's across the country, and like eventually, the stuff becomes a trend that you can read and say that that has to do with COVID. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. Like, who is the, the- – Jalen Suggs is the only example of a team that highly – to my knowledge that is highly dependent on freshmen, and that's working out. But, like, I mean, even still, it's not really just about Jalen Suggs at all for Gonzaga. So, I mean, yeah. maybe uh, – Scotty Barnes isn't starting for Florida State. I mean, you look at Duke, they're highly dependent on their freshman. It hasn't been great. Obviously, we talked a lot about Kentucky – Hasn't been great. Um, Texas is, I mean, with Greg Brown, and I guess Kai Jones is like technically what, a he's a redshirt freshman or a sophomore. Um, but was still on the program all of last year. I, I just mean, like, I, I really cannot Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham, I think is the best example, but he is supposed to be, and Evan Mobley at USC. Those are the two outliers. Those are going to be the top two picks in the NBA draft. So there you go.
0: Yeah, if, if it's not... I mean, it's a really good freshman class, but in terms of freshman impacting winning, aside from Mobley and Suggs, because even Cade, like they, I think the Oklahoma State success part of it is their supporting guys are better than we thought they were gonna be. It's not necessarily about Cade being like cause Cade we thought he was gonna put up like massive numbers. He hasn't put up the Trey Young stat line from or the the Michael Beasley stat line. He
1: oh, yes, hasn't had to.
0: For them to yeah. win. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't the, the the freshman part and just the fact that Barnes it's weird because you would think he'd figured out he's he figured it out when he had Kevin Durant, he figured it out when he had Lamarcus Aldridge at Texas, those guys, it was never an issue. He always figures out his one and done guys and hasn't really figured it out at Tennessee. So that's something um I I do want to talk about Michigan though, because they, Wait, can I make, yeah, real quick,
1: kind make one take real quick just because I thought about it. I have no, I've not done the statistical research to bank this up. This is a take, Quake. I probably need to do a deep dive. I'll defend it more on the Wednesday show. Um, but on the Thursday show, I should say, but uh, Evan Mobley contributes more to winning than Luca Garza. Don't at me, should be the first team All American center, even if it was at the expense of Garza being on the team. Well, they both should make it. I think Timmy should be on over Garza. I'm you are kidding. just
0: a Luca hater. I'm kidding.
1: He scored eight points against Michigan State. And, like, I mean, I know they won by 30, but his statistics are starting to trend down a little bit and they're not winning games. And I'm shaking my shoulders right now as I make this point because Luca Garza may not win Big Ten. As the guy that Jay Billis said, Jared Butler may go to the national against Kansas earlier in the year. Jared Butler's going off. He's got 30. Billis goes, man. Or I think it was Schulman goes, man. Jared Butler could be there at the end for National Player of the Year. And, yeah, Jay Billis says, yeah, and a clap for Luca Garza. And I just don't think it's that cut and dry. I to assume we'll may catch him and win Big Ten Player of the Year this year. That's on the table. We were always right about Iowa, and I'm going to pound my chest about this.
0: Yeah, we were always right about Iowa. I'm good with that, but you're taking it like a step a step too far. I, I'm trust me, I'm rooting for this. I would love, I would love to see the uh, the old ACC Juan Dixon situation and and have Iowa win Big Ten Player of the Year and and see Luca win National Player of the Year because it'd be funny. It would also be true. Just that Iowa has been is Iowa number two for you
1: right now nationally.
0: If Ohio, I maybe mean we if, should
1: talk about that, like the last ten points, getting the big win at Pinnacle Bank Arena.
0: Well, that was almost a complete disaster on Friday night, and like <laughs> I mean, Nebraska turns around and beats Penn State on Sunday, but that was just—I mean, Illinois has avoided some stupid losses at times, in large part just because I O erases erases mistakes down the stretch and and I mean if you want to talk about disappointing freshmen I guess the difference between Tennessee and Illinois and this is maybe a little stretch is Tennessee's freshmen have been kind of underwhelming and there's not like an overwhelming elite older guy to figure things out whereas I think Illinois like Adam Miller hasn't necessarily been what we thought he was going to be the first week of the season and yet Io has just dominated enough that it it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, he's um, cool. And he's so unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. the 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 first team All American list is going to be quite quite a debate, especially as you get like if you if you want to see Luca not make first team All American, it's not going to happen. It, it's not going to happen. But Evan Mobley just not losing another game for USC and having them be a two or a three seed, if that could possibly happen. Um, would be wild, but I want to talk about I want to talk about Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, everybody coming to the the praise of Michigan after they erased a fourteen point deficit on Sunday to beat Wisconsin in Madison. I think it was it was impressive because we haven't seen a lot of teams come off the COVID pause and respond to adversity. We've seen a lot of teams get in the position that Michigan did get down and then just lose. You'd be like, eh, you know what? It was our first game after COVID. We didn't play very well. It is what it is. They came back and erased the deficit. Wisconsin's offense, though, I think is just disappointing. And I saw this stat today. Brad Davison is shooting 24%, 23.8 exactly, on two-point attempts this year. That's the worst mark in the country for any player with more than 50 two-point attempts. No one else who qualifies is below 25% and only five players in the country with 52-point shots or more are below 30%. So I think that's a perfect stat in terms of telling you why Wisconsin has underperformed other people's preseason expectations. Once again, this show was early on being right about Iowa. This show was early about being right on Wisconsin. Um, So I will pound the chest for the two of us. Um, Wisconsin has been disappointing. I think that Sunday's loss was honestly more about Wisconsin being – not great than it was about with Michigan overcoming anything. Even though I do think Michigan's the clear third best team in the country.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I would be more emphatically with you if it weren't for this simple fact: the teams coming off COVID pauses have been awful. They come back, they get a win in a tough environment, and additionally. Additionally, for them, they proved something that they hadn't necessarily proved all year because of the timing of their COVID pause in their conference schedule is that they could beat a quality opponent on the road, and they did that too. So, like, for all the points that you just made, those are true, but for Michigan to come out and kind of prove some of their Achilles heels aren't as big of weaknesses maybe as we thought they could be coming down the stretch after the pause, that was big for me, and that that was the biggest thing kind of I took away from it. Also, I just love Shaundi Brown. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that's my guy. That's my guy. Um, like him him and Wagner make this Michigan team redeemable for me. Because Hunter Dickinson does a lot to make me hate them.
0: <laughs> I really like watching Isaiah Livers play. And and he made yeah. he made a big three in the second half um, to cut into that deficit. I just I, I can't get over how how monotonous Wisconsin's offense is. And just there's, yeah, I don't think that there's any go get a bucket for me guys on that team. And it's a, it's a problem.
1: Trice is the closest thing. Trice is the closest thing. But when you have non-shooting guards, like that, just not a thing that can really exist anymore for efficient offense and basketball in this day and age, you can't have a guard that can't really shoot the ball and isn't a threat to shoot the ball. It's just not something you can get away with. And as, Tough it is to say, like, because Davidson has been such a heartbeat for this team for so long, like his inability to put the ball in the basket is really hurting this team's offense right now.
0: Yeah, and the defensive end can only account for so much. And I'm a huge proponent of how much defense matters in college basketball. But if you're asking me who I trust more to make a tournament run, honestly iowa because i know that their their offense is going to show up every night Mm -hmm. every Every night night. unless they play indiana unless they play indiana um (laughs) then maybe iowa's offense won't show up but i also don't think i don't think indiana will be there at any point of consequence um against iowa um i i do have to note Alabama putting up 150. This is basically a mini just a sec segment, um, except for I'm heading it instead of you. Uh, Alabama putting up 115 points. Hold me to this. Uh, Hold me to this. Alabama is definitely an elite eight team. And as I was looking at the preseason rankings to talk about disappointing teams, which we're going to do in just a second. um, I wanted to note, because I know that there's been the statistic of, an unranked team has made the final four, I think, every year since 2014 or 2013 um, was the stat. So our candidates for that, we have your Yukon Huskies, we have Alabama, um, and we have, who was the third team that I saw? I think it was um, Ohio State or no, because Ohio State was right there. No, it, I mean, it's Alabama or Yukon. Like, honestly, maybe Oklahoma. Those are the three teams that can make it to the final four as unranked teams that would have to continue that stretch.
1: Yeah. And it depends on the poll that you looked at with Michigan and Ohio state, but I think the AP had them in to start the year as like 23 and 25, right? Like they were at the very back, but ranked. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, again, we'll, we'll do pros and cons the second. I'm getting a little bit concerned about James book night, but without him, (laughs) UConn's going nowhere, but you didn't hear that from me. Um, no, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger believer in Alabama every week because when they get hot from three, it's over for you. They're going to hit eight, like in this game where they went 18 from 30, which do the math in your head. That's – that's 60%? No, I'm like trying to – how many points is that? That's –
0: 54.
1: Yeah, 50, 54. Yeah, that's – that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. And if they get 54 from three, you're dead, right? But also, when they're not hot, their defense is just legitimately really good. It's actually, according to Kenneth, the number one defense in the
0: country, it dropped down to number two. They're right behind Loyola. It's Loyola, it's, uh, Loyola Alabama, Tennessee is third. And then-
1: as of, Sat- as of Saturday, they moved up to one. And I guess with Loyola playing on Sunday, they dropped back down to two. But it's one of the legitimately best defense defenses in the country. And they're just really deep, too. They've got guys like random freshmen throwing down poster dunks against Georgia when they're up 40 for no reason. Like, this Alabama team like, special, special. And if they aren't in a side of the bracket that includes, you know, the big two,
0: I'm starting to feel like I might
1: pick them to go to the Final Four.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, if they get the dreaded – if they get a one seed – I don't. I don't know if we're gonna get a tournament where three one seeds get there, and I'd expect Gonzaga and Baylor to get there, so um, right. that might be bad for them. And but, yeah, and Michigan too. So if, I mean, they need to be. Ideally, they end up as a two seed in not Gonzaga or Baylor's region, which I think is possible. Um, but man, I'm in. I'm in on. I'm in on Alabama. I, I, I might have dropped off because of the Mizzou loss. Um, and slowed slowed the roll a little bit in terms of backing the, the tide, um, but I I love this team. Herb Jones and Josh Primo, they're when they play well, Alabama plays well. John Petty yeah. sometimes plays well, and they don't play great sometimes. Um, Petty disappears, but if Herb Jones does not play well, he didn't against Mizzou. They have they have struggles. Um, they're really deep. Alabama is extremely deep. And they can get production, like, four for four shooting from three from Javon Quinterly on Saturday, and that helps. But it ultimately comes down to Herb Jones, in my opinion, and Josh yeah. Josh Primo to a little bit of an extent. And I think that that's because those are the two NBA guys on that team, and those are the hey, two – Quinterly is versat- an NBA guy.
1: Quinterly is an NBA guy. We'll see. What? His skill set is the most readily – I mean, I understand, like, why you're a little bit – more kid gloves with him as a college player. I don't know how we have this great divide on this Alabama team where it's like I've got my guys and you have yours, and there's we just can't cheer for them in unison. But like Javon Quinterly as a driver, he is the most athletically gifted um, NBA skill set naturally. I think on this team, right?
0: I think like
1: there's nobody on the bounce that strikes fear into you on Alabama aside from Quinterly, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But here, okay, Which is important I, on a team that has to be able to space the floor to shoot. If we still did guard your man takes, um, one that I've been waiting to get off on uh, is. Maybe we should bring it back. What I would like to get out there in the, into the world um, before this becomes common is I think Herb Jones is like baby Ben Simmons college version does that make sense i i know you don't you don't see it
1: i mean a little bit he
0: shoots ben simmons don't do that he shoots more than ben simmons but he's a rebounder he's a great defender he's a pretty above average passer for his size i don't know closer to draymond Right. Closer to Draymond. That's fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay. You know, I love how he runs the transition for them. He's a big anchor of why they're able to play so fast. They're top 10 of the nation in pace. It's because he catches a rebound after forcing a miss and boom, here we go. He'll put it on the floor, take one or two dribbles, find the outlet. That's huge. The quarterback, the fast break offense, and Nate wants to run. And I'll, yeah, Herb Jones
0: might be SEC player of the year which is tough to do because Sharif has put up like Trey young numbers.
1: Yeah, no, the SEC, all the player the Year races across the country are fascinating. But before we talk about anything of that nature, I think we should talk about the most disappointing teams in college basketball to kind of temper us, uh, throw a, a bucket of cold water on the discussion right now. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about, let's talk about bad basketball. Um, <laughs> things that haven't gone yeah. according to plan. Yeah. So I pulled up the preseason bad basketball. Great content. <laughs> Bad basketball is great content. It, I mean, it led to a very spirited debate this weekend for us. Um, um, I pulled up the preseason rankings this morning. Uh, Kentucky was 10. Duke was 9. Michigan State was up there. Arizona State was 18th. Um, honorable mentions in terms of disappointing preseason expectations, Memphis and Wisconsin – uh, if I give you those six teams, who is the most disappointing team and why? And then who's the least disappointing in your mind of those? Personally,
1: it's ASU. Well, duh, we probably should have seen it coming, but uh, just based on the fact that like teams like Duke and Michigan State, the, and Kentucky, they get these teams every year that are supposed to be special, these special collections of talent for Arizona State. This is the most impressive by far, it is not even close collection of talent the school has ever seen and they're going to miss the tournament and it's not going to be close and it's partly through no fault of their own i'm confident that in a normal year they would have figured this out and they would have found a style that worked for them by this point in the year and they'd be rolling kind of like last year kind of like the year before that and they would make the tournament it's an eight or a nine and be playing their best basketball by the end of the year that hasn't happened and therefore this team that has the highest rated recruit ever, multiple first-round draft picks potentially, a guy that was supposed to be a preseason or was a preseason All-American is going to finish in the bottom half of the Pac-12 and miss the NCAA tournament. So that's why I think they're the most disappointing compared to the field. But when you look at all the teams, it's got to be Michigan State, right? That's the worst home loss that Tom Izzo has ever taken this weekend um, in his head coaching career at the Breslin Center. like They lost by, by 30. That, that doesn't happen there. That doesn't happen to Tom Izzo teams. And the fact that we talk about the teams that are good in college basketball are the teams that had significant, important players returning. That is the common trend across the country, right? It's, Michigan is kind of the only outlier in that respect. They had livers. And, and they did have livers, although I will say like with Dickinson and Shandy Brown and some of the other guys. And they had Wagner, too. They had Wagner, too. So that's important as well. But Duke had a, a ton of freshmen they were going to rely on. They haven't been very good. Kentucky, same story. Michigan State has no excuse. They were returning significant key players. They had Aaron Henry back. They were getting Langford back. They got Rocket Watch back. They had a big transfer in Hauser that was there last year. And they suck. Man. So, yeah, maybe it has to do with me picking them to go to the final four. But good gracious, they are the most, with a with a, with a a bullet, the most disappointing team in the country.
0: Two 30-point losses. That's of note um they also I mean 30 points against Rutgers sorry (laughs) they uh they also beat Duke at Duke so that's impressive um if I'm just going on like most disappointing I mean of course like ASU for us is disappointing I think that to some extent them being below average people just turned it off and started ignoring it um and I wouldn't I don't know. I probably shouldn't say this, but wouldn't rule out them just like finding a rhythm for a weekend and winning the Pac-12 tournament. That's a possibility to some extent. I guess it's the same possibility that Kentucky finds a rhythm and wins the SEC tournament. Um, after being- also not to
1: yeah. jump in, but to be fair, ASU has won three from four. Technically it's just the Oregon loss felt like
0: six losses. Yeah. Cause the Oregon loss, when you, when everything becomes a must win, the the losses feel massive.
1: Yeah. Especially when you've not played in two weeks.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's the way things go. I, I think for me, it's Kentucky just because they, not only are they way below 500, they had, they had national championship expectations. They brought in Olivier Saar, who's a big time transfer. They brought in Davion Mintz, who is a transfer. A couple guys that should understand how college basketball works should be able to lead clearly showed that they weren't leaders uh, when things went wrong and made um, other people speak for them. Um, And, and then they don't have the up moment of like, they don't have the Michigan state beating Duke moment. They don't have um, anything that they can really thump their chest about and they have the worst – I mean, I don't know. I mean, Michigan State had the worst home loss for Izzo. Calipari had the worst home loss for him against Alabama. Self? Self had
1: his worst home in terms of margin. Well, I mean, I mean, we're looking at things like this with legendary coaches across the country. Self has his worst home loss as well at Kansas at the Fog. And then for the first time since the 90s, Coach K has lost – four games at Cameron Indoor. And for these elite programs, I think you can't deny at this point that the loss of home court advantage has been
0: significant. Yeah. Because that's something that you earn over time, like being good consistently gets consistent, Um, get, yeah, it gets consistent fan base support and allows you to win games when you're not at your best. And Duke, has not been at their best most of the year and and they haven't gotten that support. They have literally no one in the building. I would say Kentucky has some people. Kansas has some people. Um, Kansas at times it's just been a lack of talent necessarily against like Kentucky or Texas and such. But Calipari, I think that there's been some super interesting coaching decisions of just like not playing Dante Allen and stuff. And those, those I also hold against him. Um, If we're just going on, the, the grading scale of COVID Michigan state's been impacted more than Kentucky. I, I just, I just come back to Kentucky cause they were a top 10 team national championship expectations. I know you picked Michigan state to go to the final four. Um, I just think Kentucky's more disappointing. Like they, they can, they've had the same issues from start to finish. Michigan state has at least shown. Yeah. but My
1: argument to that is that Kentucky is improved though. So. And that's indiscriminable. From where they were at the beginning of the year, they're competing more. They can beat teams. Michigan State is a team full of vets that are just awful.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess we, we under, undersold the value of Cassius Winston because Rocket Watts and Langford have just not been very good. Aaron
1: Henry, where have you been? I mean, Kithier was back too. I just don't get, I do not understand how this team is bad. And I don't think people are talking about it enough. Like, why aren't we trying to figure this out? Like, this is Tom Izzo. He does not have bad teams. Yeah. I understand There's not five-star talent, but there's not a team like this in the country that has this kind of capability that has all these veteran dudes that has been this bad. I understand. They've not been able to find a true point guard, but like with the caliber NBA caliber talent on the wing, with Henry and Langford because those guys are guys that I thought coming into the year could have long NBA careers. The fact that they've got a dude who can just go get a bucket in the post and Hauser, they've got dominant athletic forces like Marble, and they've got like a guy like Rocket Watts that can just go blow up and get 20. I just don't get how they're
0: this bad. I also think if we're, if we're just going to talk about teams that have been below expectations, below expectations from like the first week of the season – and have are really a couple like lucky breaks away from being on the wrong side of the bubble. We have to talk about the fact that Archie Miller just consistently has Indiana in the like 10, 11 seed discussion when he has a, an all American candidate on his team and consistently the guard play is just not good enough. It's just, they just don't have enough sturdy guards. Um, to be good. And I don't know, I, it, maybe not necessarily the most disappointing cause it's not flagrantly outright bad, but based on what the expectations could be and what the ceiling for the team is, you I mean, you see them beat Iowa twice. I think Indiana is also worth saying. It's just a disappointing team.
1: Yeah. More so for you than for me. Cause you were really bought in. I think that the the seat is pretty hot for good old Archie. At this point, Um, this just can't really happen in Indiana. They are close and competitive in a lot of games, unless I guess they're playing Ohio State, in which it's not particularly close to get beat by 20. But, like, they need to have more urgency right now than they do because they are going to miss the field. Again, for the third straight year, what probably would be the fourth straight year at Indiana, if they had
0: actually had a tournament selection last year. Well, they're currently projected in – by most bracketologists, which I, I don't mean get why. What's that I will win actually mean? Both well, of them. <laughs> we probably devalue that a little bit. And and honestly, it once again hasn't been as quite outright flagrantly bad. But the Brad Davison point of just what Wisconsin was expected to be based on experience and what they have turned into being, um, that's been that's been something where I think it would be more disappointing for us if we hadn't expected it. So that's that's kind of the last thing I would go on that. Um, and then in, in terms of just let's let's move the disappointing team talk into this is disappointing just because we still consistently have not been able to see it. Um, James Booknight consistently out. Let's talk some pros and cons.
1: I mean, I was going to just read some of these headlines because it doesn't sound like, anybody knows what's going on with James Booknight because I was told he was going to be back, quote imminently by the, the powers that be at UConn. But it's just like, <laughs> here's the top story. When you search James Booknight, Booknight case shows why honesty is such a lonely word. <laughs> because uh, Danny Hurley saying one thing and then another, um, the time frame is past. It was initially speculated that he would be back from that. Uh, what is being said to be a hyperextension of his left non shooting elbow. People are conjecturing that he still can't move. Um, in the, the Hartford Current, I don't know where this information came from, but shout out to the Hartford Current because their columnist is saying that he can't move uh, his arm without a loss of range of motion and pain at this point, who knows if he will come back. And if that's the case, you going to be fighting it out to make the tournament. Um, so there are no pros. It, only cons today and sadness. No, there is a pro. They beat They beat Xavier. Okay,
0: they beat Xavier. Was Did
1: win. Quadrant one win. Second best win of the year behind their win. Um, over a USC at the start of the year with Book Night. So you got that. And I guess you, you still haven't lost Villanova. So there you go. I was going to say, I didn't. There's it there's, honestly made me for reading these headlines made me forget that there was hope and that they beat Xavier this week because if book night doesn't play
0: just, I don't know what I would do with myself. I mean, they hadn't won a quad one win, had a quad one win since the last week in November or first week in December. And then they get this one and you just about all but skimmed over it. And I'm like, what, what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, and Andre Jackson's a dog. Shout out to him. Shout out Tyler Polly, Gaffney, R.J. Cole had 24 against Xavier and was terrific, and saw that went out. Um, and they're start. I mean, they're a good team without Book Knight. With Book Knight, they could go to a Final Four, and I just want to see that kind of fruition.
0: Yeah, I, I mean,
1: I'm not as invested. Like this is this is,
0: the, this is
1: this is the Shabazz Napier support. Like this is the kind of supporting. It's an elite supporting cast if you have like a front man and their front man right now is just he's feeling it he's going through it i'm going through it with them
0: yeah i'm i'm not as all in on on the the huskies to the final four trip like i was last year with a different group of huskies um but <laughs> but i can i i i would also like to see what james Booknight makes this uconn team look like because it would have been a better big east race um for them, if if that was the case, let's get to scholarships and sanctions before we go. Um, kind of try to end end the show on a lighter note. I'm gonna start scholarships with uh you up texts because North Carolina came out this morning, uh and tweeted we're looking for a home game this week. Please contact us if interested. 8:55 a.m. uh Arizona time, 10 a.m. 10:55 Eastern um their dms are open they're ready for a game it said february 16th through the 18th so they're ready as quick as tomorrow like they want to get this action quick
1: all about that action boss i would say scholarship also to the university of virginia first time in school history they've won seven straight against the university of north carolina
0: gabe knows all about that i didn't realize that was the stat but uh tough weekend for the my tar heels yeah
1: literally picked the north carolina tar heels to win that game on our game pick so he could wear a shirt
0: i could have worn it regardless but you know it is what it is hindsight is 2020 huh that's true (laughs) Um, my sanction i actually have two of each of these of scholarships and sanctions my sanction goes to bc um their administration just sucks Last week they're trying to make their team play with four scholarship guys and four walk-ons. This week they fire their coach. I mentioned it earlier in the show when, when you jokingly said Rick Patino should get the job. But I just think why are we firing coaches in the middle of a pandemic season? It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's it's just more turmoil for no reason for a team that already is having trouble. I don't yeah. know. If I'm a player, I just am extremely turned off by the idea of Going to a school where the administration seems content putting their players in stupid situations.
1: All right, I'm with you on that sanction to uh, misinformation for giving me hope that James Booknight was going to be back and healthy at some point when it sounds like he may be not, and my life is over.
0: That's it. It's pretty extreme. Um, my scholarship, my scholarship goes to, um, the national association of, uh, basketball coaches, uh, coaches this week are wearing the John Thompson junior towel over the shoulder. It's a good, uh, good little token of, of support after he died earlier this year. So it's cool to see. Can't wait to see that on sidelines this week. All
1: right, I'm out of scholarships and sanctions. I'll let you know if I think of another one. It sounds like you've got one more.
0: Uh, Okay, then, yeah, my last sanction, uh, I'm just anti. We talked about this a little bit last year um, with Cal Baptist making the move to D1 basketball and their one-year grace period. Bellarmine is in first place in the ASUN, and they're not allowed to make the tournament because of the transition year. And I just just don't (laughs) understand. It just is a super unnecessary thing. Yeah. Uh, No,
1: it's again, it's like. Why is the NCAA putting in these dumb rules that just negatively impact the kids on these teams for no real reason? Like, I mean, in hindsight, I know I fought against it hard, but like the transfer rule, how does that help protect college athletes at all? In what way? How does this transition rule protect college athletes in what way? That's what you claim to do, NCAA. Or do you care? Do you protect amateurism and not athletes, in which case we need to have a discussion about? whether or not you need to exist. Well, it,
0: it's not even like most of the, the grace period from a D2 to a D1 school is a bunch of like somewhere between the 250th and 357th best team in the country. Right. If, if, the, if the argument is that it helps them be more competitive on the basketball court, I don't understand why you'd be anti- them being good in their first year and why that's not allowed because what is most likely happening is they're having a season that they won't have like ever again and they won't be able to go to the tournament because of it. And instead um, it'll just be another year of like Florida Gulf coast going or um, someone else, someone else from the A sign. So I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Okay,
1: I actually did have one more scholarship and I forgot about it. Okay. Goes to GCU. The Lopes are actually like really good. They took ASU down to the buzzer earlier this year. They've won several games in a row, undefeated right now in WAC play. I think that I will be picking them to win a game in the tournament. I think I decided that's my kind of throw a dart at the dartboard game. Also have a 7-footer from Denmark. I'm going to try and pronounce his name. Asborn Midgaard, who's averaging 15 and 10, yes. Shooting 74.4% from the field. Just this 7-foot dog eating up in the whack. Getting a, a, he- a hefty portion of whaction is Asborn. So, shout out. Scholarship, baby.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's your whack your whack and update on this this episode of Heatcheck. Um and and that's the way Oops. that's the way that we will end this show. Um hopefully I think I think that GCU gets a trip or a, a, a visit from our boy Braden Bell and the Cal Baptist Lancers pretty soon. What's going
1: What's going next weekend. It's next weekend. I know this because I am doing play by play for Cal Baptist and Arizona State water polo. Check this out. Pac-1 Plus.
0: Exciting. Exciting stuff. Um, once again, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Heat Check. For Peyton Gallagher, I'm Gabe Schwartz. Like, rate, review, subscribe. We will see you Thursday on blazeradioonline.com and as always, here in the Heat Check Podcast. See you next time. the top of this, you can never reach uh, these up in the booth and we spit in the truth, Aye. we inspire the youth, then we get to the loop, you do what it doesn't, we do what it do, we turn to the max and they got you on mute, you. ooh, flow so high, so you know Aye. I had to a it back, blazes the ball, then we ride like a running back, gay broad shot so you know Aye. we have to phone with that, turn you into ops, so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back, now we done with that.